Okay, so I suppose I should say something about this. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, don't don't try this at home. This is uh, thanks, guys. Let me ask you. So I was uh, out on Wednesday playing some basketball with the men's group, and uh, it looks like uh, from that I may have ruptured my Achilles uh, heel. Um, so, uh, one, um, I don't want any of the men to feel badly, because I did it all by myself. No one landed on me or anything. Um, and it was an awesome time. So, it was great to go out and play basketball with the men's group. Um, our men's group here at GRX is a very dangerous group. So, um, but that being said, I do invite you to come on out if you're looking for fellowship connection uh, with other guys. It's really a fantastic, a fantastic group. So we had a great time playing basketball Wednesday. And really, you can come and join us. None of us are really that great or in that great a shape, but you guys can come on out. So that's, anyway, what's going on. Um, But uh, I want to say welcome to this first Sunday of the ministry year. We start our ministry year in September, and this is Jump Up Sunday, where our kids jump up to the next uh, set of classes. Our budget year starts, our ministry year starts, and our big theme for this year, again and again, we're going to look at this big theme, which is living with faith over fear. The big theme is faith over fear. Rather than living out of a reactive fear, kind of a knee-jerk reaction um, to fear, this year is gonna look at how we can live in responsive and authentic faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of the things that we encounter or what we run into. For that, um, as we dive into it, we're going to be studying the book of Romans all through the fall. And today is the first Sunday in looking at uh, Romans. And so we'll start with Romans chapter one. And we're actually going to engage a part of the, um, of the book and the first chapter where we even begin to see a bit of insight into Paul the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Romans, and even what Paul may have feared, what Paul may have been afraid of, but then how he lives out his faith in that. As a way to dive into this, what I'd like us to do actually is to get our own juices flowing a little bit and do something a little bit interactive with all of us here. So I'm going to ask you to get into a group of people of about four or five people. Um, And you might feel like this is a little bit fearful to me, but our theme is faith over fear. So I'm going to ask you to get into groups of about four or five, share your name, and then not everyone will have time to go. But I'd like you to respond, and here are two things I'd like you to respond to. One, what fears do people have? Not necessarily your own fears, but what fears do people have? like fear of looking foolish, fear of not having enough, fear of not being in advancement in my career, fear of not getting a house. Like what are the fears that people have? So what fears do people have? And then two, how does that shape their life? What fears do people have? And then how does that shape their life? Okay, so please go ahead and get in groups of four or five. Quick, go around, share your names. What fears do people have and how does that shape their life? We'll take about uh, a minute or so to do this. All right, let me go ahead and call everybody's attention back this way.
Thank you. Let me draw everybody back in this way a little bit. I hope one of the things... All right, go ahead and wrap up. Let me try to draw people back here a little bit. All right, one of the things that always uh, comes up, and I, and I hope would emerge from this, is that it, it's very real to have fears. It's very human to have fears. And a lot of times, um, people have a lot of different fears that, uh, uh, that people, we can share these fears, that it's very common, it's very human to have all of these fears. Um, what I'd like to, could the sound be down a little bit, please? It feels like there's getting some feedback. Um, let me give you a quick overview of Romans and, uh, as we dive into it, because this is really going to shape where we're going in the landscape for this series that's coming up. Now, Romans is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul. And in the books of the New Testament, numerically, most of the books that are in the New Testament are letters. Sometimes they're called epistles. And the New Testament arrangement of the letters is actually by the length of the letters. And the longest letters appear first. So after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then there's the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and then you have Romans, because that's the longest letter. And so that's, where, that's why Romans appears there. The Apostle Paul was the one that wrote this book. He wrote it about 57 AD. Uh, most people think he wrote it from the city of Corinth. Uh, while he was staying there. And um, we'll get into the whole book, but it basically is divided into a couple of sections. The first section is really one through seven, chapters one through seven. It's really Paul's theological argument, what he's laying out, what he believes. And then chapters nine through 16 are the application. So it's argument and then application. And right in the middle is Romans chapter eight, which is this incredible pinnacle of Romans. And if you're going to read Romans, um, and it's 16 chapters, so it's pretty long, but if you're going to read anything in Romans, read chapter 8. And in this series of messages, we're going to spend three weeks looking at Romans chapter 8 because it is such an incredibly rich passage. It's in Romans 8 where it says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 says, who shall separate us from the love of God. Um, Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? So Romans 8 is this incredible pinnacle of Romans. But today we're just going to get into it with uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And it will open like a typical uh, first century letter. You're going to see Paul introduce himself, introduce himself and then you're going to see that it's an address to a certain group of people. And then you're going to see a blessing. And then we're going to go in further. We're going to see Paul's longing to be in Rome. He's never gone to Rome at this point. He's never visited the Christians that are in Rome. But he wants to be with them. He wants to see them. He wants to teach them. So you're going to see him say that in the letter. He longs to be with the Roman Christians. And then at the end there, we're going to look at an insight into Paul and some of his fears and where his faith resides. So with that, let's open up to Romans chapter 1, uh, starting verse uh, 1. Here's the introduction. It begins, Paul, this is typical of first century letters, 
You begin with your, your own name. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And this word, apostle, is just, he's someone that's called and sent by Jesus Christ. So you have to remember that Paul is, has not been to Rome. So he's giving a long introduction about who he is. This is very long. If you look in the book of Philippians, he only uses four words to describe himself. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. But not in Philippians. He knows that community in Philippi. He loves them. They love, they love Paul. In Rome, he's not known. So it's a long introduction. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. (gasps) That's a long sentence. That's a gigantic introduction. Paul is trying to say, this is all of who I am, all that I'm about. I'm all about Jesus Christ. If you know anything about Paul, you know he's very long-winded. And so here's Paul introducing himself in a very long-winded way. Then he says this, to all of those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Isn't that a great blessing of a community? It's like to GRX, all of you who are loved by God and called to be saints. This is what he's talking about to the followers of Jesus. Grace to you, here's the blessing, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, First, I thank my God, Jesus Christ, for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unawares, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, that's, that's a phrase for non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, this is all just introduction. This is a lot of theology. This is a lot of stuff that Paul is just trying to lay the groundwork for who he is and for his love for the Christians that are in Rome. That's really what all of that is. And then we get this very interesting insight from Paul about some of his concerns. He says, and this is the main part of of what I want to share today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then he ends with this, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith 
for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's a reference from um, the prophet Habakkuk. But he says this very interesting thing. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. And it's interesting here for me that Paul uses this word ashamed. This word ashamed is this really interesting word. It means um, reluctance. If you've ever been ashamed, you, you know what this is. To be ashamed of something is reluctance to do something through fear of embarrassment or humiliation. Afraid to do something. And I wonder if being ashamed of the gospel plays itself out a little bit in Paul's mind. In Rome, in the first century, there was a cultural dynamic of power that was very well understood in the entire Roman world. In Rome, Christianity would easily be thought of as something to be ashamed of, culturally. It'd be very easy to be ashamed of being a Christian in first century Rome because Rome operated in the language of power. Rome was the capital of a vast empire about the size of the United States at its height in the Mediterranean world. That is massive. And at the head of this empire is the emperor, is Caesar. And Caesar has both incredible and absolute power politically and militarily. The most feared military in this time was the Roman army, the imperial Roman army made up of legions and legions of soldiers. I mean, popular movies nowadays are made out of this Roman army because it was such an incredible force. But people really feared it. About 250,000 soldiers in this Roman imperial army. Huge, vast, a lot of fear. And at the top of this, the leader of this was Caesar. That's the power. That's the culture. Compare Christianity. Who is at the top of Christian faith for Paul? Well, the leader of that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was killed by the Romans. Jesus Christ was killed, was tried and crucified by the Romans. So if you say, hey, I'm a Roman citizen... Your status elevates because you are connected with power. But it's embarrassing if you are a part of a movement where your head guy got killed. It's shameful. You're weak. And that is the culture and that is the power in Rome. That is the time. To be a follower of Jesus Christ in the time of the Roman Empire in the first century did not make a lot of sense. It could really be seen as shameful. To understand this word ashamed, actually in the original language, it also means disfigured. That sometimes if you stand in a place that's different than culture, you might appear disfigured, embarrassed, because you don't fit in. Now, isn't, isn't that a powerful fear? a fear of being embarrassed, a fear of standing out, a fear of not fitting in. And I think I wonder if this is a part of the Apostle Paul. Following Jesus Christ means he's not really fitting in with the culture. He looks disfigured in the culture because everybody in the culture is doing this thing, 
but Paul is doing this thing. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not disfigured by the gospel. It is actually the power of God for salvation. And this word salvation, where he puts his faith, is not in what his life looks like culturally, whether the culture sees him as disfigured or embarrassing. He puts his faith in the good news of Jesus Christ and the power of salvation that's found there. Now, salvation, of course, means salvation for our souls, salvation from our sins, being forgiven, moving from hell to heaven and eternal life. Certainly, that means salvation. But salvation in the New Testament also means wholeness. It also means completeness. Salvation also means, in the New Testament, much more aligned with the Jewish understanding of shalom, or peace, or restoration, or healing. So that when salvation comes to a follower of Jesus Christ, and a person says, I'm going to live the way Jesus lived, I'm going to give my life over to God, salvation is not just for your soul, but it also means that we come into a loving, gracious, and forgiving wholeness that redeems and saves and heals our human relationships. It heals our interior wounds from our history and our past. And so that we grow in knowing what it is to love God and completely to love others, that's restoring our relationship with others, and loving ourselves. Love God, love others, and love yourself. That we're healed. That our salvation encompasses not just our souls, but the entirety of who we are, our relationships and our past and our history. All of that gets healed in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I'm not worried about looking culturally disfigured. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation, for shalom, for wholeness and restoration. It is the power of God for salvation for us. There's a tension here. And I'm going to actually end my message with this. There's a tension for us now, uh, living in our century and our time, that some of the things that we do or some of the ways that we participate, um, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we love people who do us harm, when we feel hurt, but instead of returning hurt with more hurt, we return hurt with love, that will often not make a lot of sense out in the world. But following Jesus Christ and living in grace, living in forgiveness, releasing people who have done wrong to us, that is the power of salvation. That is the healing that is given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news that God offers to us. Um, Just in a little bit, what we're going to do is we're going to have an opportunity to participate in communion together. And before we do that, um, I've got a little activity that I'd like to invite you into. Um, We've got the cross here in front, and there's the rope here. And the the rope is representing um, Jesus Christ, um, that he can be the one that we put our faith in, that we tie our lives into. 
what, uh, what's going to be passed around right now in some black buckets, there are going to be some strips of cloth and there's going to be some markers. And what those are for uh, are for us. Just before we take communion, there's going to be a time of reflection. And these are for you to write on these pieces of cloth for you in your life. Is there something that uh, in your life that you feel gripped by in terms of a fear that you carry? Maybe it's the fear of looking foolish. Maybe Christianity is embarrassing to you at times. Uh, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your family. These cloths are, um, go ahead and start passing the buckets around. That's fine. Um, these cloths and these pens, you can go ahead and pull that out and you can write on something on your cloth. What are the anxieties that you have? What are fears that maybe control you? What is something that holds you back from God? And what we're going to do with these cloths is um, you can write them down. If you feel more comfortable on the side tables here, if you, you, know, you feel like you're too close to someone, you can also feel free to move to one of the side tables and write these down. What we're going to do with those cloths is then, as people come up for communion, I invite you to take that cloth with those fears or anxieties and come up and tie them to the rope. The New Testament tells us, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares about you. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Jesus Christ does not want us to live with fear or embarrassment or anxiety that hold us back from living fully for him. And so this is just an opportunity for you to just write these down and then to tie them on the cloth, uh, to tie them on the cross when you come up. Let me invite the worship team to come on forward. They're going to just play some music while we do this. The Apostle Paul struggled with this. He had to decide whether he would live in a way that was given over to his fears or his anxieties, to be embarrassed by following a movement where their leader was killed by the Roman authorities. But he said, I believe in Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel for salvation. I know if you're like me and most people, we live with fears all the time. Fears of what people will think of us. Fears, will I be loved the way I want to be loved? Will people think of me the way that I want people to think of me? What will it mean for you to live in authentic faith that Jesus Christ has got you, that Jesus Christ loves you? Your insecurities are not the most powerful thing in the universe. Your fears and your failings and your faults are not the most powerful thing in the universe. The most powerful thing in the universe is 